1: Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on Logistics Insights at maersk.com insights. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little
2: or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash offer.
3: So Jim and I are busily away making some amazing new episodes of The Blank Podcast. So we thought as a celebration of just passing our 150th episode, we'd dive into The Blank Archive and bring you some of our very favorite and most popular episodes to date. We hope you enjoy them and we'll see you again next week with some new episodes.
2: This episode of The Blank Podcast is sponsored by Chatty Hatter Media and Marketing.
3: Chatty Hatter is a bespoke PR marketing agency based in Kent and serving the UK, which delivers unique to you strategies with a fresh perspective. Oh, I grew up in Kent. Lovely
2: place. Many businesses and brand owners see social media and think marketing their product must be
3: easy, with millions of potential customers at their fingertips. But when it comes to the crunch, marketing and getting noticed is more complicated than ever before. If
2: you're looking for a company or product to get the attention it deserves, want your brand to be packaged up beautifully and for it to hit the right audiences and fast, Chatty Hatter has a whole team of press, PR and marketing professionals
3: who are experts in their field. With a powerful skill set between them, They are fully equipped to handle all aspects of clients' marketing and media needs. They never compromise on quality and have a firm grasp of what it takes to stand out in a competitive marketplace and all at an affordable price.
2: With clients ranging from engineering to publishing and fashion to photography, Chatty Hatter delivers excellent marketing strategies with unrivaled results all
3: under one roof. So don't draw a blank. Contact Chatty Hatter for more information and advice on how they can help you. Chatty Hatter can be found at www.chattyhatter.com and the National Centre for Behaviour Change who have been helping to create positive, sustainable change since 2003.
2: NCBC supports all change, whether it be in addiction, managing anxiety, weight loss or workplace health and has
3: a world-class team of behavioural psychologists and change specialists at the ready Offering professional behaviour change training, supervision and one-to-one therapy NCBC aims to help make our world a better, healthier and more connected place If you would
2: like to explore making a change in your life or to find out more about NCBC's services please visit their website ncbc-uk.com Right, let's get on with the episode podcast that delves into those frustrating moments with some well-known people. I'm Jim Daly and of course I'm joined by Charles Paley Phillips. How are you? I'm all right mate, how are you? Good, are you excited?
3: Very excited, so excited for this podcast. It's, it's happening. It's a long time in the coming. It is.
2: Is that the right word? <laughs> I don't know.
3: And that's the first blank moment <laughs> yeah. of the entire series. I mean it's been 10 years I've been wanting to do this. Wow. I know, it's uh, And I've said to people about this, and they've said, oh, I've never heard you talk about doing a podcast. And I think it's always been there. Yeah. Ten years in the making. Man, it better be a success. (laughs) Oh, God.
2: (laughs) Well, anyway, shall we explain a bit about the pod? Because this pod's about blank moments. Yeah. And we've got some great names lined up. Today's guest, kicking off first ever season, is John Ronson.
3: Amazing John Ronson. And I have to admit, um, when we met John, I was... I'm I'm a super fan of John Monson's, um, and I have to admit I was quite nervous meeting John. Yeah, because, me too. Um, and actually, there were a few little blank moments. There were a in few. The podcast.
2: Exactly. I think we both have a blank moment in the first five minutes. Yeah. Of this podcast,
3: and I thought I hope this isn't a sign of things to come, <laughs> and this is going to be a really terrible podcast because, um, yeah, I fluffed the name of um, John's brilliant book. Um, so you've been publicly shamed. Yeah. And, um, and I but referenced the wrong
2: project. he'd so, so
3: apologies to John. But
2: this pod yeah. is all about blank moments. And so we are intentionally
3: yeah. leaving those things in. We are. We've, we we talked about this quite early on that yeah. we just want to leave those moments in because it just seems na- more natural. Yeah, you know, exactly. And you can't have a blank podcast and not allow blank exactly. moments in the podcast. So. Exactly.
2: And, like, and we also like we have our own blank moments outside of the pod. You know, for example, you're trying to finish a book at the moment.
3: Yeah, I've been trying to write, but I mean, I kind of stopped I've stopped writing, really, because yeah, I've been struggling with, with writing, and um, yeah, so that's certainly been a blank moment for me, and obviously yeah. you, you with your
2: stand-up. I want to get back into doing stand-up, yeah, but almost got the fear a little bit of mm. going back in and trying new material and hoping it goes well, so we're kind of hoping from these podcasts over the next few weeks to maybe sort of learn to deal with our own blank moments,
3: hopefully. Well, that's hope. <laughs> there's, hope, there's hope. If not, hope is a great thing, do? isn't it? Isn't it great? Hope is a wonderful thing. Hope is and, a wonderful um, thing. And um, I think certainly um, the podcasts we've done so far, I think there's every reason why we can be filled with hope and exactly. also some great advice.
2: Exactly. And let's, let's kick off then with some great advice from Mr. John Ronson uh, on the very first blank podcast.
3: Well, okay. I wa- I, the first thing I wanted to say was that um, I was quite late to the the John Ronson party, <laughs> I'm afraid. It's um, <laughs> only the words John Ronson party still, uh, <laughs> yeah, I <think> in Congress, <laughs> given the fact that i never go to any parties, parties. Yeah, <laughs> um, I did wonder that when I was thinking of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was always aware of your work, but mm-hmm. um, I think I was, on a, I was doing a book um, event in Stratford, and it was a long train journey, and I was in... <laughs> like um, the train station bookshop and how to be publicly, uh, so you've been publicly yeah. shamed. So you've been publicly shamed. So you've been publicly shamed. How to that. be publicly shamed. Yeah, so yeah, like a, be a guide on how to be, be a, yeah, yeah, sorry. So yeah. you've been publicly shamed. Do beg my pardon. Um, yeah. Was there. And I, um, I I mean, I've always been interested in social media anyway. I've done, done some freelance work in the past. And so I sort of picked that up and I was really intrigued by it. And then I remember reading it on the train all the way there, and I remember being really pleased the next day when I had a gap between events, so I could just go in a cafe and carry on reading it because I, you know, was so enthralled by it. Yeah, but it yeah. did give me a mild form of panic. I was feeling very <laughs> so, anxious. Well, then, that was deliberate. I, yeah, mean, yeah, I deliberately
1: yeah. wanted to make people feel anxious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, but, yeah. yeah. I, I, the, the, the image as I was writing that book, the image that kept coming into my mind was the woman lost in the forest in the Blair Witch Project. Oh, yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> and I thought, I want people to feel
3: like that woman. I definitely felt like her, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, I think... Um, I remember thinking at the time, um, this feels like a book that was really hard to write. And I wondered if yes. that was a fair assessment. It
1: was a very hard book to write for, for many reasons. Um, reason, The first reason is that nobody wanted to be in it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, no one yeah. wanted to talk, everybody... Because I was basically getting people to talk about the, the worst moments of their lives. Yeah. I mean, you know, you make you, you make some kind of mistake, Twitter destroys you, so you feel, like, humiliated. Mm. Part of you feels um, ashamed and humiliated. Part of you feels like that the victim of identity theft. Um. You know, because you're being judged for some tiny little mm. slither of your life mm. by people who don't know anything about you. You know, I'm not talking about public figures. I'm talking about some private individual. Yeah. So you've got all of these complicated and very negative feelings. That sense of. Once you've been, because basically, what is a public shaming? But it's a excommunication from the community. Yeah, you're being told you're not good enough. Yeah, so you have, so you're feeling all of those things, and you're believing it, and you're reading every negative tweet about you, and you're contemplating suicide or self harm. You fall into a depression, and then John fucking Ronson comes along, <laughs> and wants you to relive the whole judge, thing. Judge the whole, <laughs> yeah, sorry, mess. So, up again. Just <laughs> you got over it. Yeah. yeah. Well, some some of the people I was contacting were right in the middle of yeah. it. And then others, it it had just passed, and they were just beginning to get on with their lives. Yeah. So that was the first problem. Nobody wanted to be here there. Yeah. Um, the second problem is that there was no clear narrative structure, and I really believe in narrative arcs in nonfiction. Yeah. I, I'm not a fan of the kind of nonfiction where, where all the sort of narrative standards slip, where you just where a book starts with you know I'm going to tell you why alternative medicine is bad. And then the whole book is why alternative medicine mm, is bad. Yeah, yeah. It's like why why can't a why can't a nonfiction book have the same ambition as a as a novel? Yeah. So those were two of the reasons. The third reason was, it was really anxiety-inducing writing that book. Mm. I I was I felt like I was seeing a side of humanity that I didn't actually think existed. A side, yeah. sort of. Cru- well, it's more than cruelty. Lots of social scientists have said there's a says says, say that violence is worse when it's being committed for moral purposes. Yeah. So if you feel like you're killing somebody for morality, that you've got morality on your side, the violence is often worse. And so that's what happens during a lot of social media Mm. shamings They're 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 word. You know they're 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 more brutal because the people doing it are doing it in the, in the cause of morality. They think
2: they're doing it for the right reasons, yeah. for the right
1: thing. And sometimes, you know, obviously not all social media shavings are the same. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. yeah, like somebody yeah. has done something really bad yeah. th- and they need to be made advantage of. But quite often it's just some stupid nothing thing that yeah. people are are turning into something huge. Yeah. So for all of those reasons, that was a long answer. But for all of <laughs> no, those no, reasons, no. Yeah, oh, yeah, so basically it would made me anxious. Like I... I remember thinking at the time, like, years ago I did the story about a family of white separatists who, some of whom were shot by the FBI. Yes, yeah. And it was, a. That's in them, isn't it? Yes, yeah. in them. This family called the Weaver family. Yeah. And it, it's a terrible story where, with people dying. But when I did that story, there was a part of me that was always kind of distant to it, which was basically my family... Is almost definitely never going to be shot by the FBI. So I feel really sorry for these people, <laughs> yeah. um, notwithstanding the fact that they were white separatists. But I felt really sorry for for the, for the injustice that was done to them. But it never like seeped its way into my bones, yeah, you know? because I just thought, well, you know, you you went to Aryan Nations for a start, like <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like you were playing with fire here. Um, whereas on, the people being destroyed and the people doing the destroying on social media are us yeah so, yeah, so yeah. that was the other reason why, why it was so hard for me to write because I was thinking oh my god I, I could be either one of these people I could be Justine Sacco yeah or I could be the people tearing Justine Sacco apart and my god it's like I've opened a door to a side of humanity that I actually had persuaded myself didn't exist which was you know the 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 everyday cruelty of regular nice people
3: well and i, and I felt like that reading as well like kind of yeah. looking over my shoulder a bit and then like oh i'm gonna check all my tweets now. well we had that today didn't we yeah because there's a thing with kirsty Olsoppers, has quit twitter
1: oh uh-huh. and
3: yeah so <laughs> you she, were going through your tweets well, today because i've sometimes <laughs> been like if, you know, mean to Kirsty Orso. I have been mean to Kirsty <laughs> because... I feel. <laughs> <laughs> because I because I
1: live in New York, I, I a lot of my memories of British culture have sort of diminishing a bit. So you're gonna have to tell me why you're mean to Kirsty Orso <laughs> and what she's done to deserve it. Well, I
3: think initially because I didn't really like the sort of vacuous location, location, location programme. But more recently it's been her kind of uh, travails into sort of politics and, okay. um, well, where, where's she coming from? From the right, okay. Some of her parenting could be is what mainly what people have been in uproar about. That's yeah, and that's what this is, yeah. So, so she, she came out on television yesterday, I think it was, saying that, um, she'd got so frustrated with her children breaking the rules on their use of the iPad when playing games like Fortnite that in a fit of rage she'd smashed the iPads across the chair over
1: her daughter's (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: (laughs) not quite but on the chair that the daughter was sitting or the son was sitting next to so just smashed them and said you know serves you right kind of thing and look look what you've done yeah Yeah. (laughs) no more (laughs) iPads look what you've made me do wow Um, and and of course there's been a bit of a pylon yeah Um, uh, and I guess you know fair play to owning up to doing uh, this, yeah, t- to performing such an act of violence in front of your children, but um, yeah. But we were on a
2: BBC article that had tweets about it, and you were looking through it, being like, uh, "I really hope one of my tweets doesn't right. end up on this article." Because that's
3: be- happened to me before when I've not in a pile on so much, yeah. but like with you know, sometimes it's been like a positive thing, maybe a yeah, you know, like someone like you've said something funny about uh, the Olympics,
0: yeah,
3: yeah. or I've <laughs> or, or, or been really kind <laughs> about someone who's <laughs> passed away, and you think, "Oh, that's nice. Right. they yeah. they've, they've considered me." <laughs> famous enough I've got enough <laughs> followers to, worth, to be worthy enough to be on the BBC News but yeah I was slightly thinking oh no because I you know because I I didn't send my, my tweet wasn't that unkind I just sort of said wouldn't it be nice if she possibly given the iPads to charity or um, right. you know or uh, just confiscated them confiscated or them or turn yeah. the Wi-Fi off you know maybe not smashing them against yeah. the, a chair was probably the best kind of quote cool. yeah. but anyway so she's, she's f- fled Twitter after this furore today um, today right yeah. Okay, <laughs> so so uh, I guess uh, maybe not enough people are reading your book. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: funny when I I, opt, I should say I opted out. Like um, with every book I've, I've written, uh, I've always thought, okay, I've spent you know three years, four years, whatever, writing on writing this book. I'll do as much promotion for this book as people want because I want to give it like a, as much of a chance as possible. But what normally happens is that. That promotion has a inherently finite period so with the psychopath test I was probably promoting that book for I don't know six months maybe eight months something like that and then the interview requests stopped and that was fine <laughs> <laughs> so you've been publicly shamed the interview requests never stopped uh it, it, um, and I became, as you probably know from following me on Twitter, I became Mr. Shame. Yeah. My friend John Safran calls me a shaming imam. Anytime <laughs> 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 anyone gets shamed. The go to shame man. I mean, <laughs> and the yeah. go to guy. And so it was getting ridiculous. It was getting, A, it was taking up all my time. Yeah. B, it was becoming unseemly. Uh, mainly because, like, for a whole generation of people, I was just like Mr. Shame. Like, they didn't know anything else about me except for I was a, twat who pops up every time someone's i'm bad for ashamed. bringing it up now <laughs> yeah. so so i upped it out so yeah. so i think i deliberately um i think i probably in doing that um cut cut the, the shelf life of the book down a little bit actually because believe it, i mean i turned down shame interviews i don't know five a week probably maybe mm. more so I think the book would probably be out there a little bit more if I hadn't stopped doing that. But I I just felt it, there's a real danger for a writer to get trapped inside a subject mm. matter. But do get, you
2: not think that book will, will always be relevant?
1: Um, yes. I, I think it, it was... Uh, I think me and Monica Lewinsky in particular were, started grappling with this before anyone else did. Mm. So I think we... I think the two of us, and her TED Talk and my book came out practically at the same time, Mm. a couple of weeks apart. Mm. And I think we sort of started the argument with with the ones who started getting people thinking about social media shaming. So I think that book will always be, will always have its sort of place in the culture for being the first book to look at the malevolent power of social media. But I'm sure other books will come along that will sort of take over.
3: Mm. I wonder if Melania might write one, do you think?
1: I wonder. um, (laughs) Yeah, I wonder what to think about Melania. My my instinct, actually, is that Melania... I could be wrong. I mean, this is just a guess. My instinct is that Melania is probably sincere with this stuff. I think she's probably... you know, wishes to fuck she wasn't married right to Donald Trump and wishes <laughs> yeah. she wasn't in the White House. Yeah. And this is her sincere way, but who knows? Yeah. But, but that's my guess anyway. But I guess
3: maybe has to put the blinds up yeah. when coming to her own husband's tweets. You you,
0: yeah. see,
2: you seem to have a real empathy for people. and I, Is that a way you're able to connect to these people that don't want to be interviewed for uh, the shaming book or even someone like Melania? You, you seem to have a quite sort of... Empathy is your first way in. Is that, is that fair?
1: Yeah, I'd say so. I always and once in a while, I I, I find that the empathy was misplaced and that the person, yeah. you know, there are people out there with sketchy character traits yeah. who, the, as much as you try to to humanise them, you just can't do it. Yeah. So that uh, that does happen from time to time with me, um, but it's always definitely always good to go in with a sort of open mind and open heart and from a place of empathy because most of you know m- many times most times going in with that approach uh you you do it does reap its rewards plus it's just the way that I naturally am anyway yeah. uh as more now than before i think when i was younger i was more ambitious and more into what can this story do for me in my career Mm -hmm. but that all changed i'd say uh, 15 years ago maybe Mm -hmm. um where i suddenly realized i don't really have anything left to prove like and i'm doing okay yeah i'm getting older and do i really wanna do i do i really you know what 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 do you want to do, do yeah. in your life sort yeah. of in terms of ethics yeah. Yeah. and uh and morality? so so I just and as you get older you accumulate the flotsam and jetsam of or the mistakes you've made and the baggage and the mental health issues and all you know all those things and so when you realize that oh my god I'm just a bag of you know mental health issues and um, all of that stuff then how can you not approach another person with with empathy because they're
2: probably going to be very similar they're going to have their own flotsam and jetsam and 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 mental health issues and stuff
1: exactly so i think it's really important to to approach people with empathy for for all of those reasons as i say once in a while somebody's mental health condition has made them cold and manipulative and untrustworthy and you do find people like that and they do exist Mm. and so then you can't be like a dupe Mm. you have to you have to so I think when you're doing a story there has to be both empathy and curiosity but also truth like you can't be afraid to to tell the truth
2: yeah be that positive or negative
1: Yeah. yeah yeah it is what it is you know um yeah and do, are you are you a sort of believer in people
2: because that's the impression I'm getting and I think Charles right. you and I quite see the good in people so, yeah, that's how I well,
0: feel I like so, I apart from Kirstie also
3: <laughs> <laughs> is, that, uh, is that sort of person you are as well Charles? even Kirsty, sorry yes uh,
1: yeah certainly in terms of storytelling I mean on a, on a on a human level I'm quite introverted so I tend not to I don't go to parties I tend to turn down most social invitations uh and i tend so on a a human level i tend to stay home a lot yeah um and just be by myself well you know when my wife's out um but on a work level on a storytelling level very much yeah it's all about it's all about people shared humanity kindness curiosity
2: and so on that's that's how like we as humans are gonna get progress isn't it by getting Mm -hmm. on I yeah, get really frustrated when people don't kind of see it that way.
1: I think so. It kills me that, that mod- being a moderate, being a sort of centrist, I mean, I know those those terms have various political connotations, yeah, yeah. But, but what I think of those terms, I just think of listening to people, talking to people trying to come up with some kind of consensus but of course what's happening now in both this yeah, country yeah, and the yeah. america is the pendulum is it's swinging crazily yeah. back and forward and the people in the middle are, are being seen and i wouldn't i'm not saying in the middle in terms of like i see a little bit of trump that i yeah, like because yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't, see, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> <laughs> just to make that clear <laughs> yeah. i ask you what bit little bit yeah. <laughs> um but what i mean is um it's funny, actually. What popped into my head when I went quiet just then was I just gave a college talk up in Michigan, in Horton, Michigan, last week. And I made I did two talks, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And in the morning, I made an anti-Trump comment on the stage. And this guy came up to me, and it turns out that this college in Michigan, it's a technical college, and there's quite a lot of Trump supporters in the, in the audience. So one of them came up to me and said, you know, I heard your comment this morning. So are you trying to tell me that um, all of Trump's voters are racist? And I was like, no, like that was like nothing to do with what I said on the stage. And yeah. I don't think all of Trump's voters no. are racist. No. I do think um, a, a good deal of the ones who aren't racist did willingly blind Both. themselves <laughs> yeah. to to the yeah. to the shit that Trump yeah. has said yeah. from day one. Yeah. Um, but but you know, but being up in that college in Michigan did make me think you know these people aren't monsters of
2: course not yeah um mm.
1: a lot of them voted for trump for economic reasons yeah. and not for social polit- social political reasons yeah. um and yeah so refusing to listen to them and mocking people yeah. you know which is what the left does all the time yeah. you know yeah, m- yeah. mocking people who who even wants to interview them yeah you know it's it's just drives me nuts mm. yeah
3: yeah, I mean it is volatile on both sides, really, isn't it? At the yeah, moment? yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and, and again, yeah, you, you, you—we go, going back to sort of Twitter and social media. You see it so much. Yeah, on there, and it's so laid no, bare, that, isn't it? Yeah,
1: that kid, that kid who comes up to me, you know, in Michigan, saying he he came up with the most defensive thing he could possibly have said—the yeah. mo- which had which bore no relation to whatever it was about Trump had yeah. said on stage. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah. But
2: that's kind of a default position, I think, when people get feel offended or that you're attacking them. Is that they go to the most extreme defence or whatever possible thing? When actually, yeah. nothing's black and white. There are so many more nuances in everything, in the political spectrum, in in gender. There's so many more nuances, but I guess we, we find it as humans difficult
1: to maybe convey that. So we
2: have to go to and the maybe extremes. We're choosing
3: mm-hmm. a side. We want to choose a side.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah, and I understand. I mean, particularly what, particularly with both Trump and Brexit, there's a real imperative to choose a side, yeah. I, yes. and I do understand that, but. You know, both people take it. To I mean, it happened to be last week. I decided, to, it happened to be last week and I decided to do something about it. I, I had a guy, with ten, a journalist with 10,000 Twitter followers making some joke, the context of which, and this is entirely because I wrote about Justine Sacco in my public shaming book. Um probably too long a story. Justine Sacco was a kind of liberal who made a liberal joke mocking privilege yeah. which came over like a grotesque joke of yeah. you know uh sort of holding her own privilege so yeah you know, she wasn't entirely innocent although i would say that it didn't take me very long to work out what her joke meant yeah um, so I, you know um, the joke was going to africa hope i don't get aids just yeah. kidding i'm white yeah. what she was trying to do and it took me five seconds yeah. to work this out wasn't that you don't have to be inspector cluso <laughs> yeah. was was say was make fun of her own it was bubble satire, of, yeah she was satirising her was <laughs> own bubble of <laughs> yeah. privilege. Yeah. Um wasn't very good, but it's not yeah. anything that South Park and Randy Newman no, absolutely don't not. do. Yeah. Uh so anyway a few people decided that she's a racist and I must be a racist for writing nicely about her. So last week some guy with ten thousand Twitter followers tweets some joke the context of which was i was a nazi sympathizer so i just saw you know so i woke up and i just thought this crosses the line so so i went for it and i and i i i tweeted him and i said look we can dm if you like i'll follow you so you can dm me if you like and and he blocked me for saying that oh, wow. so instead of, okay, con- yeah. instead of having a conversation with down. him he blocked me yeah, yeah. Wow. so then i wrote to his um and this is not something i do normally i need yeah. to tell you but i wrote to his editor and said like it's not cool to call a liberal jewish journalist a Nazi sympathiser. I must admit, I added the Jewish bit, because <laughs> I could tell that he was a big aficionado of left-wing identity politics. <laughs> <Okay. right? laughs> and I thought, if I, added, if I point You're out that he's really Jewish, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's going to really make him feel bad about what he did.
0: So, <laughs> uh,
1: anyway, he then publicly apologised to me, so then I said, look, you really don't, this, you don't have to publicly apologise yeah. to me, please delete this tweet. Yeah. yeah. So he did, and now it's all over. But I'm, I'm glad I did it.
3: Yeah.
2: But it would have been simple as him deleting the tweet early on, yeah, would have just eradicate yeah. all that. I
1: didn't even want an apology. I w- I, what I wanted was for me and him to have a little conversation in direct messaging, where I could say to him, "Look, Justine Sacco is not a racist. I'm not a racist for supporting uh, her, and it's not cool for you to, you know, be this hyperbolic about me mm-hmm. because our reputations really matter, and you've got ten thousand Twitter followers." if one of those Twitter followers has 100,000 followers or a million followers and decides to retweet it, yeah. suddenly I'm a Nazi sympathizer yeah, all yeah. over yeah. Twitter. Justin so Sacco
2: had 150 yeah, followers. 170 yeah, followers 170
1: followers. And, and, yeah. and her tweet was was retweeted 1,220,000 oh, times. That is Incredible. insane. It? Yeah. Insane. So that's what I wanted to say to him. but And he could have avoided all of that, yeah. you know, all the public apology and everything by just having a conversation yeah. with me. Yeah. But as you said, people don't want to have conversations anymore. No. no.
0: They
2: don't. No. But speaking not speaking of conversations, what for you, what leads to you for ideas? Because it seems from the the shaming book, it was a glance, wasn't it? It was a glance in a in a in a yeah. hotel bar. Well,
1: actually, no. That was my my butterfly effect. Oh, that was a butterfly on, yes, yeah, that's right. podcast. Yeah, which Yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's mist it's mystery. Is, is the thing that, that I'm always looking for. It's try it's wanting to solve some kind of mystery. And then you have the instinct so that so a mystery is there. I wanna try and solve it. I've I don't know what's gonna happen, but my suspicion is whatever happens will be interesting. Mm-hmm. And hopefully whatever happens will be both funny and, and exciting, but also will shed light on the way the world works. Yeah. And you don't know all of those things when you start on a story. But so you So I suppose I've. I've got a little bit of. I've sort of earned a little bit of instinct that okay, if I do that story, those things I know are the things that I need to make a good story may well happen. Yeah. So so that's what I'm looking for. But I wouldn't say it's conscious. It's you. You tend to stumble on things. But
2: you are taking a, a leap of faith, then, aren't you? With Every each time. Thing you
1: do. Mm. And it's not just a leap of faith. It's a leap of. Well, it's a leap of money because I'm yeah, paying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, there's been many times I've flown to. Uh, you know Georgia or wherever and spent you know $5,000 just being there for a week trying to get a story off the and it hasn't happened but you just have to deal with the fact that that's just a part of it
2: but that I mean again we talk about the creative process on this podcast a lot and that is difficult I guess when you are working on something and your heart's in something Mm. And it doesn't, it doesn't happen. And, and how do you sort of oh, give up on that?
1: Before I answer that question, some, I'm being perpetually tweeted. I just want to see if it's... No, you're fine. <laughs> it's
0: not the journalist, is <laughs> it? It's all
1: fine. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, well, there's been a couple of times in my life where I've gone down a wrong path. And... Um, and um, and it's depressing mm. the the time that really leaps out is I wrote a story probably what year are we now? 2018, probably about 12 years ago. I wrote a story for the Guardian called who killed Richard Cullen. And it was a story about a guy who commits suicide because he's out of his depth on in credit cards. Mm. And this is before the crash of 2008. Mm. This must've been about 2006 maybe. Uh, And I decided to do a story to try and work out why that happened. Did he have secret vices? Or it turns out he doesn't have secret vices. All he really did was subscribe to gardening magazines and stuff. He was the most ordinary guy in the world. But he got slightly out of his depth with one card. So he got another card to pay off the debt on that one. And then he got ensnared. In all of these tricks that the credit card companies pull on people to keep you in servitude to them. So I wrote a piece about that where I discovered these incredible secrets that credit card companies... A lot of stuff that relates very strongly to what's happening with Cambridge Analytica today. Mm. So it's all that kind of stuff. It's basically an early incarnation of Cambridge Analytica. Okay, so
3: data harvesting. Yeah, a lot of data
1: harvesting, list broking. I mean, it was stunning stuff. Anyway, my American publisher said, you need to write a whole book about the credit cards. Write a uh, ministeric goats about the credit card industry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I spent like about, I'd say, six months trying to do it. And I just couldn't do it, mainly because I wasn't mature enough back then. I'd meet these list brokers and these data people, and they were... They were boring. They were really boring, and their lives were boring. They just went into the office every day and did their thing, and you know it was mainly bureaucracy. And I just couldn't find a way to make it light up on the page. And I, and I, after six months, I, I quit and didn't do it. And if I'd carried on and the book had come out, it probably would have come out just when the crash happened. Yeah, yeah. and ah. yeah, I'd have been you know, <laughs> it. yeah laughing, yeah laughing, and and um, but it didn't work out like that for that reason if i did it now i would probably find a way to do it but back then i still needed my characters to be colorful and a bit eccentric i i sort of needed those ingredients to make the story work that's why that's why it didn't work mm. yeah so so this podcast is mm. about it's about blank
2: moments and, about and what you described moments. there obviously is is a blank moment yeah and there must have been many others i'm sure in your career do you, how do you sort of deal with them do you have a is it case by case or do you have a certain way of trying to work through them and actually Hmm. maybe giving up in a way or deciding not to follow an idea is potentially braver maybe than carrying it on sometimes.
1: Yeah. Well, that was, and by the way, I would say that that book didn't entirely die because some of the ideas I took from that research and some of the thoughts that I had uh, turned into the psychopath test, which Mm, which came out in 2011. So I do sort of see the psychopath test as as in, in its weird way being being that book that I abandoned yeah. although the two books it would have been nothing like this yeah, but yeah. um hmm well one trick I have is i I always work on two or three different projects at once oh, wow. oh, okay. yeah always and always have and what I wake up in the morning And as I walk from the bedroom to my little office down the corridor, I can think to myself, if I'm working on two projects simultaneously, I can think to myself, which which do I fancy working on today? Which do I have more passion for today? So that really helps. Wow. Because if you hit a wall with something, quite often it's just time. Yeah. Like if you hit a wall with something, go back to it a couple of days later and you can work out how to fix it. Yeah. So, if you're working on two or three projects at once, you hit a wall with something. Instead of just sitting there blankly for a few days, or or you've hit a wall and now you're just staring at the wall. Yeah. Move on to another project, and then then go back to it. That's fascinating,
2: later. though, because I find when I'm I find my main problem is working on too many things, and I find it hard to concentrate uh, on one thing. And any little lapse, I okay. go to something else. But for you, it's it's a uh, it yeah. encourages you, I guess.
1: Oh, absolutely. Mm. I love it. Uh, particularly if they're not even in the same genre. So at yeah. the moment, right now, I'm working on a an audio, an audio series. And it's it's really an Audible original. Audible aren't really doing... Audible in America aren't really mm. doing podcasts anymore. They're doing Audible originals. So I'm working on one of those. And I'm writing a screenplay. And so they're so different from each other. That really helps as well. Mm. Yeah, I can think very... Clearly, like, do I want to be writing a screenplay today, or do I want to be sending my producer edit notes for of the interview? That that's a very clear yeah, distinction. Yeah, yeah. That's and is it do you yeah.
3: do you find that easy to flip from because obviously they're very different? Um, yeah,
1: very easy. Yeah. I have like I've got about four hours in the morning where I'm really clear-headed and I work at my absolute best. So what I tend to do. Is is do the hardest stuff during those four hours. So writing a screenplay is harder than sending my producer edit notes <laughs> uh, because that sending edit notes is like listening to an interview yeah. and basically doing the time codes of the best bits. I mean that's pretty fucking easy. <laughs> so as long as you know, as long as you've got the brain where you can identify what the best bits are, yeah. Yeah. that that's easy. Yeah. Uh, so what I tend to do most days is the first couple of hours of the day is something hard, something that's going to make your brain hurt. Yeah. And then when your brain starts to hurt, I just switch to the easier thing like the edit notes. Yeah. And are you
2: quite kind of hard on yourself then? Because you, you'll have some days where you get up in the morning and even in those four hours, it yeah. might not be happening or it might be more of a slog. Do you force yourself through mm.
1: it? Well, fortunately, if if you're working on a bunch of different things at once, what, what often happens is the process, you know, because different parts of the process are harder and easier than others so for instance with a piece of writing um, if I've been working on it for a few months and all that's left now is going back to it and taking out the superfluous words and just shining it up a little bit and holding it down a little bit that's really easy and fun so if I wake up in the morning and my brain's just not in it and so on which doesn't happen very often I have to say because i I'm so tied in with my work. Yeah. I mean most of my life is about working yeah. i'll just I'll just go to one of the easier things, like like a piece of work that's almost finished, and all I have to do is take out a couple of words yeah uh, but so I do work pretty much seven days a week. I'd say. I took three days off about about a month ago. We went to the Catskills in upstate New York nice. for a little holiday, and that's literally the only days off I've had all year. Wow. But that's kind of stupid, really. Yeah. Are you good so with days you? off? I was in the Curtis i I loved it. Loved it. Because we were talking uh,
3: to a, a, a screenwriter um, in another pod, and he was saying that um, he will sit down sometimes to have some time with his daughter, and they'll watch a movie or something together. And he said he's looking at the screen, but he's not watching yeah. The film because he's just got stuff on his brain all the time, and yeah. I that sort of not being able to switch off, yeah, from the moment. But
1: there's something good about that. Um, I mean, a lot of creative people will identify with this. Like if you're right in the middle of a story, everything reminds you of the story. You walk yeah. past the bank, and there's an ad in the window of the bank that gives you a new insight into your story, yeah. uh, and that's a great feeling, you know, because that's mm. you sort of know that you're so deep into something. Yeah you're thinking about this harder than anyone is. Yeah. So actually, I think that I see that as like a good, I yeah, mean, it's, it's bad good. parenting, but it's, <laughs> yeah. but it's good work.
3: Yeah, well, I sort of think we felt guilty because I do that as well. Right. I think it's the guilt kind of weighing over, over us a little bit, perhaps. That's true, but yeah. and
1: they, they can tell, well, my son can certainly tell. You know, the other day I was with my son and he was playing me something and I got a text and I looked down at the text and it was like something urgent work-wise, and I thought, but you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna just get up and leave. So I thought. Um, um, but it was, and I'm sure he could tell. Like, yeah. I'm sure he could tell that I was half of me had vanished into that text.
2: Yeah. But it's hard these days when, when emails are in your hand, yeah. and Text messages. Yeah, that it's it. very hard to switch off from that because it is. It's right in your face every mm. second of the day.
1: Yeah. 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 Mm. So it's not as Being you know. In,
2: Twenty years ago, that
3: wouldn't have happened.
1: Yeah. Being up in the cat schools though. I didn't. I had <laughs> none of those thoughts. <laughs>
3: It's like an advert for Let's the Catskill. Get, yeah, <laughs> yeah. need to go up there more often, maybe. Well, yeah. we just bought a little house. Oh, well then. Uh,
1: not actually in the mountains, because that's a bit too isolating, no. but in a little village just the other side of the Hudson River from the Catskill. Oh, so I do intend to actually calm things down a little yeah. bit in my life. Uh, and by the way, my son's 20 now, and so yeah. he doesn't,
3: you know, I, we yeah. don't do those things sure. anymore. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I wanna ask you about the butterfly effect. Sure. Because obviously that's your most recent kind of work. Um and um I just what well, how did that come about to start with?
1: Um so after my public shaming book came out, it was quite bruising. Not that like I don't wanna over dramatise it because I would say that 90% of everything that happened when that book came out was really positive yeah. like most people love it it was just a very small number of very vociferous social justice people who had decided without reading the book that my book must be an attack on social justice and I, and I know that for sure because like no one who reads the book would have those feelings it's a thoughtful yeah. you know I'm not a polemicist I'm not Jordan Peterson uh I'm a Thoughtful Humanistic mm. Moderate Like yeah. um, God I sound like I sound like I wouldn't want to Hang out with me <laughs> yeah. um, But um, So anyway That was it Yeah So, so when it was, But I was sort of Bruised by the noise It was a very noisy book yeah. uh When it came out It was like Throwing a hand grenade Into the world uh, And I didn't enjoy the noise Including the positive noise I just didn't enjoy Any of the noise mm. Um so I wanted to do something that was easy and fun and and I happened to be I happened to remember this thing that happened when I was at this hotel in Los Angeles. So I was meeting a porn star called Princess Donna. This is from my public shaming book. She has a very small cameo part in the book. So I'm at the Chateau Marmont. I don't stay there anymore. Too <laughs> hipster doof, say. Um But I was staying there that night. So the guy phones up and says, your guest is waiting for you downstairs. So I went downstairs. And everybody in the hotel reception was dressed exactly what I'm dressed now, which is in great muted greys and <laughs> hoodies like, like the sort of, you know, yeah. my hoodie It's like the kind of burqa of the... Uh, intellectual (laughs) sort of nebbishy Jewish writer because you just don't want to be you still you want to be hidden yeah yeah. so everybody was in in the lobby looked muted and hidden except for princess Donna who looked like this kind of great mad peacock this (laughs) very bright dress and very high heels and she just looked like you know she lived a life um you know uh that that look and that song about your face is a map of the world you know her mm. her uh that's what her face looked like yeah. and so i walked towards her thinking god i'm so looking forward to talking to this woman because she lived you know she's lived some life mm. and i looked over at the hotel receptionist and he was looking at her with a look she was obviously some kind of sex worker I mean, whether he recognized her as a porn star or not i don't know but he was looking at her with a look of total contempt like what, what are you doing in my hallowed hotel reception? Mm. And by the way, this is the Chateau Marmont, which has got a uh, yeah reputation for being a kind of loose hedonistic. So John <laughs> yeah. Belushi died of a drug overdose. Yeah. That oh, wow, yeah. yeah. But um, still, that's that was the look that he yeah. that mm. he had on his face, and I'd, and that look just stayed with me because, kind of cheekily, in a way, because. People on, people, what I'm trying to say is that I'm really interested in stigmatized and demonized people Mm. who are sort of unpopular, stigmatized and demonized people. So like Justine Sacker from my public shaming book is a classic example of that. That's a person who was wronged, but she's not. She wouldn't win a popularity contest of wronged people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I, you know, I, I, but I think you know, as I say and say, been publicly ashamed, a wronged person is a wronged person, even when they're an unfashionable wronged mm. person. Yeah. So, and I felt that way a little bit about porn people. Yeah. I thought it's just kind of the same thing. It's like I bet that hotel receptionist sees himself as a very woke person. Yeah. Yeah, he was still looking at Princess Donna with disgust, mm. and I just thought that that was so interesting. You know, yeah. so that's that's that was my starting point,
2: point. and that that one look yeah, leads you down look. a rabbit hole. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's good to you know try and keep your eyes open for those moments. Yes. Mm. they don't happen that often in your life, mm. you know.
2: But uh, clearly, you see them more than other people because this is why you do what you do.
1: Yeah, although I'd be lying if I said I was a kind of. Um, savant at those, uh, (laughs) identify those moments, because I'm sure I miss a whole bunch of them. (laughs) But luckily, once in a while, there was that moment. I remember, um, it's a bit like, it's a bit like when I saw The Sixth Sense, is that the name of that movie? And in the opening (laughs) credits, Uh, Like the opening credits, I'm sitting in the cinema and I'm thinking, what do I know about this film? I know there's a twist Mm -hmm. and I know that Bruce Willis sees dead people... Oh, I bet the twist is that Bruce Willis is dead. <laughs> 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 and, <laughs> and once in a while, once in a while, that happens. So there was a moment like We're into yeah. For yeah. It, yeah. yeah, there was a moment at like about
3: 2000. Did you turn to the person next to you and say that? No, but, that but to the, the <laughs>
1: whole movie. I was like, oh for fuck's
2: sake,
1: <laughs> he's obviously dead.
2: <laughs> so. Do you know that? In, you know, you know, in in. Um, Places like China and stuff, where they don't speak English, and American movie titles get translated for their for their country, and then you translate it back, and it means something different. Yeah. Well, in China, the Sixth Sense is translated as "He's a Ghost."
1: Oh, really?
2: Yeah. Oh, the really? worst title for that movie. <laughs> Give the plot away, why don't you? you just wouldn't bother seeing it. Yeah, that's yeah. really funny.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So there was a moment in about two thousand and nine, which is similar to that, where I thought um, many uh, leading harvard psychologists and psychiatrists all believe that psychopaths rule the world that you're much more likely to have a psychopath at the top of the tree than a bottom and i thought oh why don't i learn how to spot psychopaths and then journey into the corridors of power to see if i can spot <laughs> any and that was one of those six yeah, moments yeah. for me it's like whatever happens is going to be funny. and you
3: got quite yeah. far yeah yeah, uh, yeah
1: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> So what, oh, and another one of those moments was right back at the beginning of my career when my friend Fenton Bailey, who's a documentary producer, he, he makes RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, I love that show. Yeah. And Fenton um, said to me, you should do something on conspiracy theories. And Fenton was thinking, like, boring, like, who killed JFK? Yeah, yeah stuff. Sure. And I remember saying to him, we were standing on a roof in Brixton, I remember saying to him... Uh, well, there's one conspiracy theory that's really interesting to me, which is all these disparate groups all believe that there's a shadowy cabal secretly ruling the world from inside a secret room. Yeah. Um, maybe I should hook up with them and <laughs> we'll try and get into the secret yeah. room. And Fenty was like, yeah, I suppose you could do that. Um, but that was another yeah. one of those moments. That, was the, that was the builder
3: a Yeah, that, mm-hmm. and
1: so that became my book then. Yeah. The yeah. Psychopath Thing became my book, The Psychopath Test. So once in a while you have these little moments where you think, shit, this is, they are kind of like eureka moments. But I I don't have that
2: many of them. But you must know at that moment when it happens, like, oh, here we go, this is the moment. Yeah, it
1: fulfills all those ingredients that I mentioned at the beginning of this interview. You you realise in a flash, it's like everything that I want in a story, mystery, comedy, adventure, um, big emotions, and some insight and maybe all of those things will give you some insight into the way the world works yeah. you know what those diff- all those things have in common is is they all contain that i think yeah and i think the look in the hotel contains that because then that gave me permission to to go into the valley the san fernando valley and hang around you know with on porn sets with porn people yeah i was going to ask
3: you how you went from there to to the to the free porn
1: well what
0: mm.
3: And oh, I'll
1: tell you what it was. It was meeting this woman called Stoya. There's a porn star called Stoya who's in, in insanely beautiful. She's like the village voice put her on the front cover and said the cover was the, the the most beautiful woman in new york is a porn star and <laughs> i remember her telling me that being on the village voice cover has done her so much good because it's sort of it's destigmatizes yeah her. sure so yeah, yeah yeah so banks are more likely to give her checking accounts because she's been on the cover of the village voice yeah uh and it, yeah so it was stoya i i met stoya no what happened was i started thinking so i don't know anything about porn People at all. I don't know anything about their lives. Yeah. What are their lives like? So I started reading blogs and I found a blog written by Stoya about where she was being mean about Fabian. She was saying there's this guy called Fabian who's ruining all of our lives yeah. and he runs this site called Pornhub and basically it's a depository of pirated content and Fabian's getting incredibly rich and we're all losing all of our money and there's nothing we can do about it. So then I went to visit Stoya in. Um, where she lives in New York. She lived, and Most porn people live in either Nevada or California, but she lives in New York. And so we talked about it. And, um, and yeah, that's how I came to, to Fabian. And then that became really interesting because Fabian became a kind of metaphor for... All tech, like yeah. Uber, you know yeah, the porn yeah. story, the Uber stories yeah. and we we like you know we utilize those things, so we're all part of the problem. We and
2: that goes back to that goes back to the shaming book. We're, we're all yeah. kind of in it.
1: Yes, exactly. Which to me is much more satisfying than the early stories I would do, which would be about look at those people over there. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, so I remember my friend Amy. The other moment for me was um, my friend, Emmy the Great, who's a singer-songwriter. Yeah. yeah. yeah, uh, At the very beginning of this process, I was saying, we were talking about sort of pirated content, and she was saying, you know, we've all lost so much of ways that we can make money. And I said, well, you know, because one way that porn people make make up their loss of income is through uh, escorting. So I said to her, well, at least you don't have to have sex with your fans. And she was like, well, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember. So that conversation oh, yeah. stayed in my head as well, because Emmy was being really funny about yeah. it. And yeah. So those were all the starting points. And then we had this amazing breakthrough on the set of... Stepdaughter cheerleader orgy.
3: This is such a catchy title. Yeah, you know, yeah.
1: <laughs> where so many things happened on that set. That was one of those days where, I'm like, fuck, you know, my life changed. When <laughs> orgy. But one of them was because of the title. Yeah, uh, so. In the old days, porn films were called things like The Billionaire's Blonde. <laughs> and these sounds days, like Mills and Boone. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And these days they're called Stepdaughter Cheerleader Orgy and it's yeah. because of search engine optimization. Yeah. That's, uh They they have to work out what the most searched terms are and then make films that, that uh, abide by those terms. So that was a big revelation to me. Uh, and then I remember saying to the director, Mike Quasar, so are there any... Porn people who just aren't searchable, who fall through the net, who you can't employ because they're because they're just not keyword searchable. And he said, "Yes, if you're 25 years old in the valley now, um, doesn't matter how good looking you are, how you know, it doesn't matter anything. It's very, very hard for you to get work because yeah. you're too old to be a teen and you're too young to be a milf." Yeah. So it's the fallow years between teen and MILF. <laughs> and So that was... At
2: least you got the MILF years to look forward to.
1: Well, exactly. I said, at what age yeah. should they become a MILF and become employable again? Yeah. And I said, at 30... Oh, el- that's depressing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he said, unless they... Unless they actually had four kids. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so yeah. in which case, probably 29. Oh, uh, yeah. So that became a huge, you know, the way, that was massively revelatory to me. And is
3: it that kind of gap? Are they the people that are going into escorting? And yeah, I, and also
1: and customs, like yeah. um, which is, yeah, camming. Yes, bespoke porn. Yeah, bespoke yeah, yeah. porn, oh, where yeah, you'll yeah, make yeah. an entire porn film for one viewer. So all of that was that super interesting yeah. to me. But what was really interesting to me was, going back to that credit card thing, actually, mm. it's really similar, that you've got these rather boring tech people who are very good at you know a b testing or search engine optimization or or so on but what they're doing is is infecting like you know it's it's mutating the world's culture Mm -hmm. and you know so they're up in montreal or wherever doing that and in the valley you've got a 25 year old woman who has to go into escorting because she's not a teen and she's not a male and those connections between decisions made on high and the impact that's having in the real world is it's endlessly interesting and are the
3: tech I mean, do the tech guys actually give a shit about that much? No, because you
1: know, they've got cognitive dissonance. They've, yeah. they've, they <laughs> they psychologically trick themselves into yeah. not giving a shit. Like, like we all yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not,
3: maybe not aware of the consequences of what they do.
1: Yeah, they don't go to, the, they don't yeah. go to porn sets. No. They, they, they stay up in Montreal. There's a huge disconnect between their lives and the lives of the people who are providing the content, which is then being pirated and mm. sent on their site.
2: The SEO thing is everywhere, isn't it? Because now articles online, people will pack SEO into the URLs to get it seen. And yeah. YouTube, I do some YouTube videos and stuff. And all I'm thinking about is, who can I make a video about that's going to have a strong SEO name God. for the title? It, it really influences. And it's not just porn, it's everywhere.
1: Yeah. And as, as creative people... You know, really, we we should be lead. You know, yeah, we should be amazing. We should be leading, <laughs> not following. And, yeah, and if you yeah. abide by, you know, the SEO thing, then automatically it means you're following trends Absolutely. and not yeah. creating, not leading, not not creating new insights. Yeah, um, but that's a
2: very brave and bold thing to do to break out of the pack.
1: I think you have to do it. I think you are. Uh, it's unsatisfying to do anything else. Yeah saying that I don't want to give anything away too much but I'm doing a story at the moment which it's very hard for me to say this without giving anything away yeah so you know what I, I, I won't okay that's okay, fine, that's yeah, enough. fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have why risk it get? it'll be out pretty soon yeah. but I, um, basically I'm doing a story at the moment which is similar thematically to stuff that people are already thinking and talking about okay but that's okay for me because i it's a mystery yeah and when you enter into a mystery and follow wherever it goes you don't know where it's going to end yeah. so if it does end up in a place that's actually quite similar to a lot of the stuff that's in the conversation at the moment i, I think that's fine yeah but that's really oblique and i'm sorry to <laughs> no don't <laughs> no, 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 no.
3: it'll pique people's interest exactly yeah. hopefully so yeah. i get them looking out for it yeah how can we Sort of SEO, get that really trending. How can we SEO this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) We need to think about really.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Is there there anything out of all the work you've done that you're sort of proudest of? You look back and think, I really sort of nailed that, and I just, I'm so proud of it.
1: uh I'd say the tone of the Psychopath Test. I love the fact that it's you know it's a book about really serious things, but it's got that kind of Joseph Heller. Kurt Vonnegut sort of absurdist
3: cautionary tale as well, yeah, think,
1: yeah but but then the tone the way it's written is absurd and yeah. funny and silly so but without ever detracting from the seriousness of mm. so I love the fact that I managed to create that tone for that book I think the Justine Sacco story actually and so you've been publicly shamed I'm really proud of because I think I was identifying something that nobody else had noticed
3: mm. it's very emotional as well yeah, I mean, you yeah. Know, seeing someone you know reading about someone so traumatized by Something yeah, something that could happen to all of us yeah. as we've explained is just yeah, you know, it's quite harrowing
1: yeah yeah absolutely and the fact that nobody knew it was bad yeah, like yeah, until yeah. my book came yeah. along nobody neither what happened to justin sacker was bad yeah nobody didn't cross anyone's mind thought, oh,
3: she's like she'll be all right she yeah she should be idea. fine yeah.
1: either she deserved it she's the daughter of a billionaire which by the way she isn't yeah. <laughs> her dad sells carpets but that's what people would say about it. Well, she's a, she's a billionaire's daughter. It's yeah. a complete lie. To yeah. justify it. Yeah, it's cognitive dissonance. You could yeah, probably, yeah. probably you could, could
2: make millions selling carpets, though, couldn't you, maybe, if you sold a lot well, of carpets? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I, I clarified yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, She's not a billionaire. Yeah. Mm. Um, those two stories I'm really proud of. Um, you know, it's easier for me to say the things that I'm not proud of. I mean, I'm, I, I feel pretty proud of most of my work. That's the, great there's a couple of things in the minister at goats I'm less proud of. I think I made a couple of creative decisions in that book. Was, that
3: so was that a harder book to write generally?
1: It was the only book I've ever written under pressure. Mm, right. Uh there was a lot them had been a big success and there was a lot of pressure on me to follow it up both from Channel 4 over here and also from my Yeah, cuz you did
3: some documentary with David Icke, didn't you? Was that the yeah, back of them? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Uh, so I made a couple of decisions. I think the problem with the minister at goats was I decided to be credulous. Um, I made this sort of creative decision that I wouldn't, that I would like dive into this may be true, this may not be true and sort of enjoy the ambiguity as opposed to what I would do now, which is be absolutely very clearly sort of a critical thinker and an investigative journalist to try and work out exactly what is true what's not true when you read the ministeric goats now there's less of an interest in trying to work out what the truth is yeah um so in a way it feels more like a sort of like a fairy tale sort of maze but so i wouldn't have written it that way Mm. but honestly there's not much else that i'm not and there's even chapters in that book that I'm really proud of, yeah. too. So, so.
2: But you're clearly someone that, that learns from your past mistakes. Yeah. You've mentioned quite a few already today, and like clearly y- y- you recognise them. Yeah. And I guess you must have, in in, 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 in past work after that, learned from it and, and changed the way you do things.
1: Yeah, and become definitely become more humanist, more empathetic. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: Not that I was ever... I don't think I was ever a sort of authoritarian writer. Like I would never like go into some place full of eccentrics to say, look at how ridiculous these eccentrics are, look at how fabulously normal I am and <laughs> consequently a representative of what of the way the world should <laughs> yeah. work. Which is what some journalists yeah. in my position, you know, do.
0: Yeah.
1: I've never so I've never done that. But I I do it even less now.
2: Yeah. yeah. Okay, so so At the end of the podcast, we've decided we like to to ask people what advice you would pass on, because we're hoping they're going to be creative people listening to this podcast Mm. who have blank moments Mm. in the theme of the pod. Is there anything you'd pass on in terms of dealing with those kind of moments?
1: Well, space is a good thing. Um, And you're definitely your own best editor, or I certainly see that to be true about myself, that... I go back to something with a fresh eye. Mm-hmm. So moving away from something and then going back to it helps hugely. Solves most. For any amount, of, any particular amount of time or does it not matter? Well, for me, it's just overnight, to be oh, honest. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, I go back to something the next morning and I can see its, it's faults. Mm-hmm. And then over and over and over again until you go back to it the next morning and there's nothing you want to change and that's <laughs> when you know it's done. Yeah. Uh, that's one of my big kind of uh, things I've learned yeah. about how to write. Uh, so that's something um when you really it's uh, yeah I I think I do have something did you have a preconception of what the story would be and is your problem that the story isn't fulfilling what your preconception was and if so then get rid of that preconception and start, you know, think of yourself as like a river, you know, when, when when there's a rock in the river, the river doesn't stop, the river goes around the rock. Yeah. Uh, so I've really learned that. And in fact, when your preconception is undermined and you start to realise your story is something completely different, you know, you hit a wall because it's you're not getting what you wanted to get. But then you suddenly realise, oh my God, if I go in that direction forget about that preconception, I'll try to take the story over this way, then often the story gets better. Yeah. Um, And I think audiences, you know, readers really like that. Oh, my God, I thought the story was going to be one thing, but now it's shifted into something. I said, I'm following the writer's thought process, Mm. you know, in the way that you follow a river going around a rock.
2: They're following that journey with you Mm. as you... The, the twist in the story is your twist because it's happening to you.
1: Absolutely. And so if you suddenly get blocked, yeah. maybe that's part of your story. Like, it, why are you blocked?
2: Yeah. But it's hard to let go of preconceptions because we're we're proud animals, aren't we? Mm. And we have these preconceptions and because, you know, we think we're right or whatever. Yeah. It's really hard to let them go. Mm.
1: A lot of that, I think, has got to do with the very British... Now I live in America. I think I can say this. This very British style of like journalism and and you know think shows like have i got news for you and things like question time and radio 4 it's so oppositional it's all about people you know being oppositional and everyone having to defend their position and it's bullshit (laughs) it's really bullshit and this oppositional haughty bullshit that infects so much of british culture doesn't exist outside of britain most no. countries have found other really interesting <laughs> ways of telling stories yeah. and doing this stuff you yeah. know so actually you know part of the reason why i think you know with what you just said about being proud and so on is because we're growing up in this world where you know on radio 4 you have to like sternly um defend your position and yeah. then they'll bring somebody on who will attack yeah. your position which means you have to That's double so down even more yeah. and it's just it's bullshit yeah it's fake it's fake. It's it's oppositional nonsense.
2: We, we have to let uh, that go.
1: I'm not saying let it go completely, but I would say the problem in, with British culture is it relies too much on that. Mm-hmm. So for American, so you know there are like American news shows shows on MSNBC or CNN or whatever which follow that format, but it's not the only thing. Yeah. Um there's all sorts of different ways of telling stories. Yeah. And so I think there's too much reliance on that in British culture. Yeah. And I actually think people are beginning to get a bit sick of it. I mean, people don't watch The News for You anymore, and no one knew in the numbers that they used to. Mm. And um, I think people are getting a bit tired yeah. of that constant, you know, fake antagonism that you get on Radio 4 in Question Time. Mm-hmm. And-
2: Okay, Charles, what's your retort,
1: retort to that?
3: <laughs> I'm publishing retorts. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I, well, actually, I, I agree. I totally yeah. agree with you because I think our people are getting bored of that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah.
1: And yeah. actually, the fact that long form podcasts like this are, you know, have gained some popularity shows that people are getting bored with that. I
2: think Yeah, absolutely. Of thing. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. They want to hear a different form of podcast yeah. like this one, which we hope will be very successful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, John, thank you so much for yeah, giving us your you, time John, and chat. We really, really appreciate it. That's
1: my pleasure um that is my and it was really nice to talk to you guys yeah well, lovely thank, thank you. you and
2: best of luck with the next project as well we have yeah. it. thank you all.
1: well i'm doing as I say, i'm doing this audible show and i'm doing this screenplay and i and i really like them both and i think they'll both be done within eight weeks
3: because the screenwriting is something you've taken you've started doing more in more recent years is it?
1: yeah just really just because it's being offered to me yeah like it's not I don't have a great ambition to do it. And and, it's, and it doesn't come as easy to me as my, no. as nonfiction. But, you know, if you get like Bong Joon-ho saying to you, do you want to yeah. co-write? Oh,
3: man. I mean, Okja was great. I really loved yeah. it. And uh, Thank you. You yeah, can't yeah. turn something like that
1: down. No. Um, and actually, the screenplay I'm writing at the moment really is playing to my strengths, actually, because it's more journalistic than uh, than entirely fictional. So I'm really enjoying
3: it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, John Watson.
1: Thanks, you guys.
3: I think, um, looking back, I should probably apologise to Kirsty Allsop. Yeah, I was a little bit mean about her in that one. Yeah, but um, it
2: was it was said with love.
3: It was, yeah. Yeah. Well, Kirst- I know about love, but it was said with something. <laughs> well,
2: Kirsty if you're listening then
3: you you, you know, we love you to come on the podcast. Well, yeah, exactly and you can defend yourself.
2: <laughs> it's
3: suddenly become a very different podcast. <laughs> um well that was what a great- Also what a horribly badly unheartfelt <laughs> apology. Yeah. No, I am sincerely sorry if I upset any Kirsty or Sops out there yeah
2: um what a great episode what a great first episode episode with john ronson like what a lovely guy really interesting some great advice
3: yeah and so yeah really candid and and fascinating stuff um about all aspects of his work um yeah
2: i found the bit when he's talking about um working on more than one project for once as a way of dealing with blank moments it's like, man, i could never do that i yeah, can barely no. do one but
3: that's really interesting yeah no likewise um i've struggled to do one project this time i'm not alone more but what a, what a great idea though to yeah. try different things and actually take your mind off it and actually challenge yourself with the harder things first and then do something as a treat afterwards
2: yeah. And isn't it great that he uh, didn't pick up
3: on our blank moments
0: and <laughs> just,
3: well, just he rolled up, on he, with it? He picked up on mine <laughs> and quite rightly corrected me on the title of his uh, of um, book. He didn't book. let that stop the pod. He just, no, no. He was like very, very gracious. Very, very gracious. And Absolutely. I thank you for that, John.
2: Thank you so much to John Watson for joining us uh, on the First Blank Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed that. If you did, please get in contact with us. We are on all the socials. We're on the Instagram the Twitter the <laughs> and Twitter. the Facebook I don't know I'm just a i am just I mean
3: they're all are at blank pod
2: correct yeah so please let us know if you enjoyed the pod give us some feedback we'd love to hear it we want to know about your blank moments if there's anyone listening that has yeah. blank moments feel free to tell us
3: we'd love to hear your blank moments
2: um, if that takes longer than 140 characters then uh, you can well s- it's
3: 280 now oh so. yeah man
2: I'm so behind I'm so behind anyway if it's longer than 280 you can email us which is hello at the blank podcast and let us know if there's anyone that you want to hear from in the future.
3: Yeah, we'd love to hear any suggestions for guests. Um, we've got some fantastic guests coming up, but we are always open to trying to find other guests to come on.
2: Also, please rate us on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this
3: podcast on so we can convince some more celebs to come on in the future. Yeah, and please subscribe. And subscribe. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: Do all, all the things.
3: Do all the things that we'd love you to do.
2: <laughs> um, and obviously, John alluded there to a new project that he's working on. That's almost perf- in perfect timing. Has been announced. Yes. Actually. Yeah,
3: the trailer's out now. Um, it's called The Last Days of August. It sounds fantastic. Um, do check it out on. Uh, it's a it's a project by Audible, so yeah, check it out on all the the usual podcast places. But it's going to be every bit as brilliant as the Butterfly Effect
2: fantastic well that's it That that's the end of the very first Blank Podcast how are you, feeling? How are you feeling Charles
3: really good really excited can't wait for episode 2 neither can I
2: it'll be with you next Wednesday so look out for that in the meantime have fun thank <laughs> you I don't know how to sign off <laughs> no, that's <laughs> terrible
1: At luckylandslots.com.
2: Available to players in the US, excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group, void or prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply.
0: This is a Blast Box Media Podcast.